1: Soccer Talk Podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 95, we discuss our thoughts on TNT's latest coverage of the Champions League, MLS TV ratings take another nosedive, why soccer fans could be dealt a big blow if Univision Deportes leaves dish, Netflix reveals which sports network could be a leader in the future, and we have a bunch of letters from youth listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris aka the gaffer and I'm joined by my co-host Kartik Krishnayr. Kartik um a lot to talk about about what we've been watching this past week. Um, was there one match that stood out for you as as a classic kind of a, a memorable game?
0: Um one match that stood out. That's a very good uh, good question and we're obviously we're doing this every week. I mean, I would have to say that for me probably uh the best match of the week was uh was the Eintracht-Fortuna-Dusseldorf uh, match, just the most entertaining match just because Eintracht scored so many goals and looked rapid. But probably the best match was Chelsea-Man United, which was the first... Um, and leave it, to M- leave it to Mourinho. This was the first really high-level um match I saw in the Premier League this season I know everybody raves about how great the Premier League is and it's the best league in the world I quite frankly don't see that in terms of quality I see a lot of bad giveaways in midfield I see a lot of defensive errors tactical you know shape being frayed stuff that I don't see as regularly in other top European leagues uh, but this match was really good really a nice tactical battle Jose opted to um, to play with with uh, um, a more attacking-oriented uh, side. He put Juan Mata in the lineup, whether that was a force change due to injuries um, and, quite frankly, discussed with Alexis Sanchez, which is understandable, or, or whether that was a, a one-off for this match. We, we, we really don't know. Although he, he started Sanchez, obviously, against Juventus, too, so uh, maybe it wasn't a one-off. And m- importantly, from the broadcast perspective, I think um, Derek Ray brings something to these big Premier League matches uh, for me That Arlo White doesn't. Now, I know it depends on what your personal preferences are, what your cup of tea is, so to speak, in terms of of, of presentation and uh, match commentators. But I I think uh, I I just enjoy Derek Ray's uh, scene setting and the way he's able to kind of guide you through a match like this.
1: Yeah, and and this one, I mean, it's, it was another crazy weekend for me with my kids, uh, soccer tournaments, and just all over, all over South Florida. So I missed a lot of the Chelsea Man United match. I did get back for towards the end of the second half, and. Uh, and, and and of course, I mean, this was the thing that I think you tweeted about Kartik to say that you mean this is a great match, but then it's all going to be overshadowed by what happens with Mourinho at the end of the game. But I did think that uh, both Derek Ray and Phil Neville did a really good job of uh, calling it as it was happening and talking about. Uh, I think Derek Ray said, "All eyes, as usual, on Jose Mourinho." And just talking about the incident, and Phil Neville coming out straight away and saying this is despicable behaviour. Of course, he's an ex-Man United fan, so you would think that he'd be kind of uh, more pro-United and uh, anti-Chelsea. But uh, as the as the replays showed, uh, Man United was. I mean, it was definitely bad behaviour from the coach on on Chelsea. So uh, I think Phil Neville in this instance was was correct. But uh, yeah, it, it was entertaining. And that's the thing, though, too, Kartik, is that the soap opera of, often overshadows the, the actual game itself. I, I have to wonder after this happened, Kartik, I was thinking to myself, how much of this is like Mourinho knowing exactly that the, the TV cameras are on him and just creating a spectacle just to, to have that to be the talking point rather than the talking point being that United uh, gave away a couple of points and ended up with a draw? Uh, You mean, I have to wonder how much, not that this would be premeditated, but uh, he seems to be very much always in the action and trying to take the storyline away from his his team's performance.
0: Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's Jose's psychology. Uh, He's a master of deflection. He's a master of mind games. And uh, perhaps uh, there is a a, a desire now to uh, plow on with him. From the Man United board, from the players, so he's deflecting, taking some uh, blame away from the players, and he's putting it on on, on himself, which uh, um, is a management tactic uh, that other managers employ. Now, as far as the incident at the end of the match, that was classic Jose. I mean, in fact, I and maybe it's me personally as a Manchester City supporter. I have I have an issue with Mourinho being seen as a victim because um, he did this this uh, in a very blatant fashion to Manuel Pellegrini at the same ground. exactly five years ago uh, when there was a mix-up at the back at the, in stoppage time and the Stosic and Joe Hart essentially ran into each other and allowed Fernando Torres to t- tap in a, a match winner uh, that uh, Mourinho decided to go and celebrate in front of Pellegrini and then uh, run to the stands behind the Manchester City bench, which uh, it's really kind of um, inappropriate theatric behavior. Not for, we're talking about an assistant manager with Chelsea. He's, he's the, he was the manager of Chelsea at the time. Um, and he also did uh, did this humiliating slide in front of Roberto Mancini in 2012 in a Champions League match uh, in Madrid when uh, Madrid got a late winner uh, against Manchester City 3-2 match that was. So I, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for him. I think this is a culture he's he's helped create and foster in. Uh, world football and in English football. But um, in terms of th- this specifically, I think maybe it was a, a, a shrewd piece of management uh, in terms of taking the pressure off his players who so would just yeah. love two points.
1: Well, one more thing to add to this though too, Kartik is uh, whether it's three fingers he's holding up or four fingers he's holding up and whether it's at Stamford bridge or Old Trafford, this to me feels like it's almost like a victory tour. Like he's, he's kind of like uh, doing kind of his his last tour as kind of an aging rock and roll star and uh, just reminding all all the fans um, from his team and other teams about all of the achievements and all of the medals he he's won, and, and uh, it seems like kind of it's kind of a you know, kind of a farewell tour in many ways, just to remind people how how great he was. You um, I mean whether that's intentional or not? Probably not. But <clears throat> well, it's intentional that he's doing it. But but uh, I don't think that that's what he's trying to prove. But he's just really dwelling on the past. And I'm sure there's a lot of Man United fans, too, that would like to to see him move on and bring somebody fresh and new into this uh, team that's going to play a more attractive style of play. Uh, For me, Kartik, my my match of the week was Arsenal against Leicester. Uh, Just an absolutely sublime performance by Mesut Ozil, uh, involved in all three of Arsenal's goals. Just a really sensational uh, display of football by Arsenal. Also have to mention some great pre-match analysis about how this Arsenal team has changed. Uh, for the benefits, and, and that was courtesy of Carlo Martino and Robbie Musto. Some really some good analysis there. Some things that you could, you uh, mean, sink your teeth into, and definitely think about. Some um, some good points that they raised. Now, Kartik we have to talk about uh, Turner, Turner Sports, and TNT and their coverage of the Champions League uh, for the last two uh, match weeks. I think we've been fair, but we've been critical. We, there's definitely been lots of mistakes. There's been lots of uh, awkward silences just a really bad flow and just it seemed to be all over the place what were you, what were your thoughts about um, their coverage uh, this week for Tuesday's and Wednesday's uh, Champions League games
0: okay given how low the bar was from the first two match days and then obviously the um, the Super Cup and, and the, the play-in rounds uh, I was in the way I don't know why um, it took them uh, almost half the group stage to get this figured out I don't know if it was the the commentary on this podcast on the World Soccer Talk website on social media, uh, particularly Twitter and Reddit about their uh, their uh, their presentation, but I found it uh, far improved in, in many aspects. We can go through those one by one in a minute, but if I found it far improved. I found it far more relatable. I found it far more useful in terms of a match analysis and actually talking about matches. And I thought... Um, again, I, I think Carlos Bocanegra, he's getting better. He's not quite there. I think Moadu was, was pretty good. Um, and then I think the rest of the group, Kate Abdo was the best I've seen around Turner. Uh, Tim Howard was very, very good. Uh, now, again, this 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 piece of analysis holds from previous weeks. Why he uh, is only there Wednesdays, uh, they need to figure that out because the, the group is better with him. And then Nash and Holden were very good. There weren't the clunky transitions. The production was better. Um I also want to say even the camera work was better uh, this week in the studio, Uh, which um, and and the dress, while still kind of this hip, um, urbane look was a little uh, more reserved. I I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was actually this week. If we just take these two as a sample size, I think they're now, in terms of their studio programs, probably better than Fox. Uh, Again, it's a small sample size, but I think that the trajectory is upwards and I don't know where this came from chris i mean mine the last thing i'll say about this is my concern is was this uh due to a lack of poor planning and late hires based on uh from turner hiring people late not getting them familiar with each other not having uh enough adequate dry runs so that in august and september and early october they weren't as poor as they were or is it them changing their philosophy already um, either way i guess we'll take it it's, a, it's an improvement i just don't know why they were so poor uh, out of the gates and then we've seen i think a pretty radical improvement um again about 2 months in
1: yeah yeah i, d- I definitely thought the the coverage was much tighter both the the pregame halftime and post match um a lot lots of improvements made i i would say still i still think that the the analysis is lacking i i, I know i think you mentioned a couple of uh some positives there, but um, for me the analysis, I'm still not getting any really any anything substantial, anything like a take a takeaway where I'm like, "Oh, that was a good thought. I didn't think of that." It's very pedestrian, and and I would say that definitely the talent was a lot more comfortable on set. So uh, Tim Howard, Maurice Edu, Carlos Bogniero was better. Um, so the kind of the 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 level of presentation and just the comfort level and the back and forth. That that that's good. It's just that for me personally speaking, I'm just getting no nothing substantial from from the analysis. So much so that on Wednesday after after the the games ended, I thought to myself, should I watch the post game? Is there going to be anything I'm going to learn from this to walk away from that's going to enrich my knowledge of the game? And I said, probably not, based on what I saw on Tuesday. So I kind of just walked away and said, OK, let me just switch the channel and go on to something else. But overall, though, speaking uh, a lot better, a couple of points, um, Karthik. I think after the uh, uh, Ike-Bayern game on Tuesday, the early game, they immediately went to the developing story uh, from Old Trafford, which was that that the Man United bus was stuck in traffic. And I thought that was good because they were obviously watching social media, uh, paying attention to that and letting the the viewer uh, know what's happening at the stadium. So I think that was very important. Uh, I also enjoyed the segment with Fernando about uh, Ike Athens and uh, graffiti in Greece. And um, that was interesting about bringing uh, an Ike Athens legend and uh, having him see a piece of graffiti that uh, Bleacher Report put together, that was good. The other interesting thing, too, I think, Kartik, is that um, a little bit of a change here, is that on Tuesday and and Wednesday, they had segments uh, in pre-match. Uh, Tuesday's pre- uh, pre-match segment was about Man United, uh, and then uh, I think Wednesday's pre-match segment was about Liverpool, uh, the Ale, Ale, Ale song. And I think that uh, it's interesting that TNT, while trying to also, I mean, obviously talk about PSG and and Barca and, and the impact of Messi being out, they're certainly making more of a play now to fans of the English game than they did in previous game weeks. And maybe it's looking at the TV ratings, maybe thinking to themselves, okay, well, we're not gonna, I mean, we're not gonna smash uh, Real Madrid out of the park and, and win the the ratings game that way. So is it better to target more of the, say, the Anglo? audience that are going to be watching, looking for Man United or looking for, you mean, Chelsea in the Europa League or whatever it may be, and going after that and trying to build that up and trying to get some of the TV ratings from the the NBC crowd rather than from the Univision crowd. But overall, I I was really, really impressed by the coverage this week, and and I hope it continues. Uh, I just hope that the analysis, again, too much agreeing with one another and too little uh, value really in terms of what they were saying, it was just—it just seemed like something that if, if I went to the pub and talked to some of my mates, uh, it would be the same level of conversation and, and nothing enlightening.
0: Yeah, and one one quick uh, uh, criticism I have was that the half times, uh, this, this didn't necessarily happen on Wednesday, but it happened on Tuesday. The half times on Tuesday. I think they were racing through the highlights so quickly that Bocanegra and Adu, particularly Adu, because he was contributing more in terms of analysis, had points about what we were seeing. And then they move on to the next clip or the next match. Um yeah. Because they have packed, as so many people on social media have have reminded us, they have packed so many commercials into halftime. So they were not able to really uh, give uh, Moa Do in this this occasion the opportunity to to analyze what he was watching, what they were showing us on television. So that's something uh, I know uh, they paid. We have to remind our listeners how much they paid for the rights, how much more they paid for the rights than Fox had ever paid uh, for for these rights. So we realize they have to monetize it and – Earn some of that money back uh, to the Time Warner to the Tur- Turner family, but uh, that was unfortunate because I think um, Adu was making some pretty good points actually about what we were seeing. But he would be making a point about one match, and we'd be watching the clip from the next match uh, because they were they were so quickly. I mean, I want to say they did maybe three minutes of studio time and nine minutes of commercials. That may sound ridiculous, but that sounds about that's what it felt like at least.
1: Yeah, it does. And and also even, uh, I think, Kate Abdo, she was going through the, I think, the halftime results of the games on Tuesday and didn't even get to the end. And they they already uh, moved on to to kind of the the next... the next part of the uh, yeah. that segment, so she was kind of caught caught aback too, as far as how fast that was moving, uh, and I think that that'll just take a little bit of time just to get adjusted adjusted to that that speed of how quickly they have to go through things. But overall, I thought I walked away both on Tuesday and Wednesday with a, a feeling that I had a better. Uh, appreciation for the results of the games and that I knew what was going on and what the main talking points were. were. And that that's something that uh, I didn't have in previous games. And
0: the piece of analysis that Tim Howard gave about Cavani not getting the ball from Mbappe... And uh, Neymar is the type of analysis I, I normally have to turn to ESPN FC for.
1: I like so it. I was happy with that. Yeah, I like that. But then but then Steve Nash raised a good point, though, too. And he said, like, I need to see the stats. I need to see the, the metrics side by side. How does that compare sure. to, let's say, Kane and Ericsson or, or some other teams? And and I think it was interesting that he mentioned that, Tim Howard and uh and we'll—I think a lot of uh, viewers will probably take a closer look at some of those games now when when they are playing PSG. But to have those stats available would have been great too to kind of just just uh, drive that point home.
0: There are a couple times now in, in the uh, three match days that Steve Nash has raised points that are points that you and I would raise, but that clearly he hasn't been briefed about what they're doing on Bleacher Report uh, on, online or with the with the power ratings or um in terms of their analysis on the show because he's asked for things that you and i and other fans would ask for but are not readily available on the set so um maybe they need to brief him a little better on that but i like the fact that he raises that that creates a little bit of of tension a little bit of debate which is good but um uh, I think in in some in both cases he's probably made the producers or the network not look as great as they could because he's asking for things that they're not able to provide readily.
1: Right. Or his comment from a couple of weeks ago about clickbait, which which is yeah, yeah. a, a fair point, but it just it's uh, it's not a good look. Uh, I would say that uh, Bleacher Report live, um I didn't watch all of the games on Bleacher, Bleacher Report live, but what did watch some and everything seemed to be okay. I didn't have any issues. Um, I think it was only one report that I got through the website of somebody having issues with the Liverpool game. But uh, when I tuned in to watch it, I had no problems watching that uh, Liverpool Red Star Belgrade game. So that's positive too. That, and, that, and that's a big uh, if 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 things are as good as we think they are in terms of this week. That's a big plus also. Uh, just making sure that that platform is stable and operating uh, as it should. So that that's a positive there. Kartik, any, anything else uh Champions League or, or any other games that stood out for you this past week
0: yeah I mean Real Madrid Levante did because of the result and and uh I thought that was quite good I um I I think that there had been um some pretty good coverage on being again this weekend of La Liga although I I'm, it's very tough when Ray Hudson is doing Barcelona matches I mean he just is, is, is fairly fairly biased um it it, it it feels like um, really like Mark Donaldson's call on the Frosinone and match. Maybe I'm the only person in the country who watched this match. I DVR all the A matches that are on espn2 so i watched this and then realized on my program guide or you know on the top of my my dvr it said this match started at six fifteen 15 or something
1: yeah, that's right
0: <laughs> so, seven, um, yeah. i think i'm the only one who watched it well, but Donaldson's had a good call
1: well actually uh, the, the the tv rating for that one let me give it to you now rather than wait to the tv rating sec- section that one actually had a an impressive number one hundred twelve thousand viewers tuned in for that game uh, and it kicked off at how? six thirty on uh, how, Sunday morning. How is that
0: possible? How is that possible? Well, okay. ESPN2.
1: Yeah, I mean. I mean, to me, it's—I uh, mean, two teams that uh, are by far, uh, by, by by no means, uh, very popular teams in, in Serie A. It must, must have been just timing in terms of people, I mean, kind of maybe your crowd that usually watches the Premier League on Saturday mornings, getting up early on Sunday mornings, flipping through, looking for a game to and watch. There was,
0: and there was no Premier League match, importantly. Exactly, uh, yeah. Early Premier League kickoff. So that's that's interesting, and it's on ESPN too. So uh, the, this thing is reaping dividends for Serie A. I'm watching – I like Serie A as a league, as I think most people who listen to this show probably know, but I'm getting to watch a lot more of it this year. One other quick note, Monterey Toluca – uh, which was on FS1. I was not well advertised, but again, I popped up on my DVR. I saw it a, a day later. Uh, I thought uh, Francisco X. Rivera, who what times we criticized for his English calls, was pretty was really good because he was comfortable with both teams. He knew both teams. And Kurt Nolfo who's had some experience uh, playing and living in Mexico, obviously uh, is, is Brazilian-American, American-Brazilian, former MLS coach uh, Bruce Arena acolyte. Actually, first time I ever heard him on the mic. Um, I've interviewed him when he was coach of Kansas City, but uh, I thought he was pretty. Or coach of DC United, excuse me. I thought he was pretty good. So um, that was a, a decent broadcast uh, for me. So a lot of v- variety in, in what I watched this week. I watched Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, Liga, Mekis, Champions League, a lot of La Liga. Uh, it was actually a very good weekend. The thing that seems to be happening, and this is why the Cavani. Uh, Neymar uh, discussion is, is so foreign to me, uh, even though I'm, I'm a big fan of Cavani. So if this is happening, I, I would urge him to move on and go back to Napoli or, or something in January. Um, I have not watched a single Liga on uh, match, I think, all season since that Monaco, that really good Monaco-Leon uh, match. Or, I can't remember who it was, Monaco. And yeah, it, it, or early in the season. Yeah. I, I, it's just that there's always some better soccer on at the same time as Liga is on be in and um, again the league doesn't seem to be in and, and I know this is this is a bad thing because there were so many good players who come out of that league that then contribute in the Premier League La Liga and Serie A those three leagues have there and actually some in the Bundesliga also um, but it's just like I cannot motivate myself to watch it even though when I've watched the league this season and previous seasons it's been entertaining so um, that's the only league I didn't watch this weekend that's readily available on U.S. television.
1: Yeah, for me, that's probably one of the leagues I watch the least. But uh, when I do see highlights from that league, I'm always impressed by the quality level. Obviously, I mean, France winning the World Cup is just one example. But uh, it has a lot of talent. And, and that's the thing, though, too, Kartik, this season, probably more than others, the TV ratings are probably higher just because of one person, just because of Neymar, uh, than they have in, been in previous years. But like like you. Uh, there's only so much time, and there's so many other games happening at the same time. It's I uh, mean you have to kind of pick and choose uh, the matches you want to watch. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news.
0: FIFA president Gianni Infantino has submitted plans for a Club World Cup every season, that a world and a World Nations League backed by 25 billion over 12 years from Japanese telecom giant SoftBank. Uh, It should be noted UEFA is not on board with this Club World Cup proposal. And um, in fact, uh, there's a lot of bickering within UEFA as to whether Infantino came from UEFA, whether they even support him for re-election next year because of this. Uh, And the European clubs, as you can imagine, uh, are pressuring their FAs, the top European clubs, to, uh, to prevent this from happening because it's just going to add to the fixture congestion and then create more and more difficulty uh, but uh, there's a, there's a lot of support for this club World Cup proposal in other federations other confederations
1: right me. And, and this would be the, um, the revamped Club World Cup that would be renamed um, I guess as a, as a World Nations League and it would have uh, a, lot, a lot of Premier League clubs in there in theory as well as some of the other uh, top clubs from around the world. And uh, like you said, Karthik, UEFA is planning on blocking this one. To me, this is actually kind of a shot against uh, across the bow, uh, also against uh, International Champions Cup. Uh, just trying to look at uh, some of the big tournaments that are happening throughout the uh, the year, and and that really at this stage, whether you love ICC or, or not, is one of the is the dominant uh, kind of international tournament that is kind of outside of your UEFA Champions League or. Uh, Copa Libertadores, kind of outside of that. And here's FIFA trying to uh, go ahead and uh, I mean, really kind of launch this this tournament that would happen uh, every year. But, uh, yeah, it looks, uh, yeah, I, I don't see this one happening, but uh, we'll have to wait and see in that one. On, on to uh, some other news. Uh, Netflix uh, says the future of television will be mainly news and sports, and that the future of live television is Rupert Murdoch's New Fox now, new Fox for those listeners uh, who may not know, would be the Fs one FS two um, and then the, the like the Fox News Channel and the small select number of Fox channels that they have that weren 't sold to uh, to Comcast um, so what this does actually I mean I mean Disney not Com- uh, not Comcast so Disney acquired a lot of the fox channels um, properties from uh, 21st Century Fox. Uh, So, New Fox, though, is really mostly FS1, FS2, Fox News Channel. Now, next Netflix CEO, Reed Hastings, is positioning their company as the leader in on-demand broadcast, while everything else, including the New Fox, will be the the news and sports leaders. And uh, so, I think it's it's interesting kind of the way he's positioning the market. He's looking at Netflix being on-demand, and then New Fox as being a leader in the news and sports side of things. And to me, that's kind of, I think, the play that Netflix is looking at. So if you're just binge-watching or switching on the TV just to watch uh, you mean movies or TV series or whatever it may be, that is Netflix. That's all that Netflix is about. While a company like New Fox, that is a huge power, that has FS1, FS2, and Fox News Channel, etc., would be more your news and sports uh, destination. To me, that makes the likelihood that Netflix gets into live sports... Extremely unlikely uh, given what uh, Netflix's uh, CEO said this week.
0: I yeah, I found that kind of interesting, actually, Chris, real quickly, because the assumption had been Netflix would be a player uh, in whatever live sports bidding uh, and offerings went. Uh, Happen in the future, but I think maybe it's the economics of this you're seeing Amazon and facebook they're kind of clawing getting little pieces here and there, but not really making the impact yet for rights and then zone has just come in with so much money uh, as a streaming service that can potentially uh, outbid anyone if it appears at this point yeah. uh, or will outbid anyone because they're trying to accumulate properties and, and talent, etc
1: yeah and I think it's uh, I think Netflix can look at their original programming and say, okay, that's a better investment for us than going ha- ahead and spending I mean uh, over a billion uh, dollars for rights to the Premier League or rights to some of these other top leagues from around the world so um, so yeah, it, it makes sense, and actually it's it's a good play for, uh, for New Fox being able to uh, differentiate, differentiate themselves from Netflix. and then Kartik, one more news item before we head on. Yeah,
0: so dish subscribers or at least of losing Univision to Portis network says uh the broadcaster I think those of you that have dish that are listening to the show already have lost every other Univision channel which means uh the matches the Premier League uh, excuse me the uh the matches from various leagues Bundesliga et cetera, that have been on UniMas or, or Galavision or even Big Univision for Liga MX uh, and the Champions League you have not uh, been seeing and now it appears like uh according to our report with, with World Soccer Talk that uh uh Univision Univision Deportes will probably be next.
1: Yeah, and it, and according to Univision it says that uh it's the it's it's that Dish Network is not agreeing to the terms that Univision is offering for Univision Deportes Network and it looks very likely at this point. That Univision deportes network will be pulled from Dish, which means that you will have you won't have access to any uh, Univision networks or games, uh, and there's a lot of games too. I mean, everything. I mean, you look at the Champions League, Europa League, uh, like you said, Cartic Bundesliga, Liga MX. Uh, you go down the list, Mexican national team games. So it's going to be a big blow to Dish subscribers. Now, moving on to TV ratings. Uh, this week we've got some numbers from Major League Soccer. Um, We had the the big game on Sunday, which was the Atlanta against Chicago game uh, on ESPN. Uh, I think with Atlanta setting a uh, MLS attendance record, a huge crowd, I think 72,000 fans there for a big match. Uh, TV-wise, it didn't do so well. 163,000 viewers on ESPN on Sunday uh, during the 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern uh, window. Uh, another game that was on Sunday, and this w- this one did even worse, uh, this was Minnesota against LA Galaxy. I think the last game at uh, the Minnesota Stadium before they moved to a new stadium next year. This, w- this was on FS1 on Sunday, uh, 136,000 viewers. So uh, prime time, basically, on, on a Sunday evening, uh, really poor numbers there from uh, FS1 and, and disappointing numbers also from ESPN there. Um wow. Kostik, you want to say something?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess there is a lot of discussion about these matches going up head-to-head with the NFL. But, again... I don't know how many times I have to have this argument with people about the calendar and people will say, well, if we shift the calendar to what you prefer. And I, the reason I prefer it is for, for, for uh, uh, soccer uh, or football playing considerations, developing players, playing in in, in more reasonable weather. Uh, it, it, it improves a lot of things. But we, that's a debate for another day. But they say, well, you will be forced to put uh, – the season up against football. Well, no, actually, the business end of the season would be uh, these sort of important games, teams leaving grounds, uh, playoffs, all of that would go up against um, uh, non-football. And you're seeing with these ratings this week, even when Atlanta's involved, how the NFL impacts it. Now, that having been said, we had a match from a few weeks ago when the Red Bulls hosted Atlanta, and it was two really high-level teams going head-to-head, fighting for the supporters' shield. Uh, the Red Bulls won that match, and that got a good number, and it was up right alongside the M- NFL. So um, for people who then also say, hey, you can't go up against football, that's why these ratings are low, I would point to that match and say it depends on the match, it depends on the circumstance. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, the takeaway from this week is, is, is pretty poor, uh, particularly the Atlanta match, because that was Atlanta. And that was a a really stunning, uh, stunningly low number on ESPN. It was Atlanta and it was ESPN. But um, I want to see how this thing continues to evolve, because there are certain times where I think there are people who prioritize the NFL, uh, over Major League Soccer who are watching Major League Soccer. And it is, again, a problem of the league maybe appealing to the wrong people for their fan base uh, and people complaining uh, to reporters you know, like uh, Jonathan Tannenwald, our friend who's been on the show a few times, uh, report, complaining to reporters, oh, well, I don't want to watch the Union. They're playing at the same time as the Eagles. Well, uh, you know, you're either a soccer fan or you're not. Particularly when the union are having such a good season this season by their by their admittedly low standards, uh, I, I can't imagine um, the final match of the regular season you wouldn't watch. So uh, because they're playing at the same time as an NFL game, but again, that's me. Um, maybe uh, MLS has to consider who they're appealing to. If they were appealing to core soccer fans, people who get up and watch the Premier League, people who got up and watched Serie A, as you mentioned earlier in the show, you know, really nice number for a match that kicked off at 6.30 in the morning, then I don't think you have this problem.
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing too, in terms of that loyalty of, of a soccer fan. So like your example of kind of the Union fan wanting to watch, say, an Eagles game versus instead of the Union game. Uh, to me, if you had... Manchester United against, I don't know, Everton, which actually they play this Sunday. And with the time change in the UK uh, and the time change not happening yet in the US, that game will be shown from 12 to 2 on Sunday. Uh, so it's going to c- come you know right up against uh, NFL games. But to me, if it's if a soccer is good enough and you're uh, at, uh, such a loyal fan, uh, fans will tune into soccer over NFL, even though the NFL is kind of almost like a religion in, in the United States. But um, yeah, when the product isn't that good, and uh, there's a lot of competition, I, I, I just still can't believe that Major League Soccer has not made any changes and continues to put the what are most the most relevant, most meaningful games of the season up against NFL. It's just crazy. It's ridiculous because even the Sunday card tick, right, you got uh, all eleven games in Major League Soccer happening at the same time. I think four fifteen or, or four o'clock Eastern time. Uh, right. or you know it's it's the last day of the of the regular season that's going up straight up, up up against uh the NFL and you've got the games like what uh, i think there's one game on television and that's on i think uh ESPN maybe ESPN2 i think it is or is it Fox i, I don't know uh but all the other games are on ESPN plus so timing wise the calendar does not match up it's just ridiculous that they're doing this uh having said that it's still a little bit of an excuse, I think, for a lot of soccer fans to say, ah, well, I mean, NFL's just, just more, impo- more, more important. Yeah, I mean, at least
0: they can get the time on, on, uh, on Sunday. They can't on Saturday because of Colorado. Uh, they can get the time on networks. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm I, getting quite tired of arguing with these people about this. And I think the likes of Tannenwald and others are probably feeling the same way. That Look, I mean, you're you either a soccer fan or you're not. And uh, I, I think everybody knows what happens. And there are a million people you can talk to about an Eagles game or a Dolphins game or whatever. Uh, I think if you're a soccer fan, if you're a fan of your local MLS club um, – that's a different experience i mean maybe philadelphia doesn't quite have the culture of atlanta or seattle i mean those are the most obvious examples i think cincinnati will have that kind of culture next year but um yeah i I don't i don't get it i think again we're in a position where um mls has done some very good things with the way they structure the end of the regular season in terms of simultaneous kickoffs Uh, making uh, these games more available and relevant and and giving this decision day feel, you know, taking a page from some of the uh, the leagues in Europe in the way they market uh, the the final two weekends of the regular season, uh, even though of course that there you're fighting relegation and, and fighting for Champions League spots here, it's, the stakes are a little less, uh, less, uh, you, you, lesser, you could say. But um, unfortunately, we keep running up against this every year. That people say, "Well, it's going up against the NFL. I really don't care." Well, then you really don't care
1: yeah and looking at that that Atlanta game too, you had almost as many people in the stadium watching the Atlanta Chicago game as you had on um, watching the game on television nationwide in, in a country that's yeah. what, over three hundred million people. You had like what seventy two thousand people in the in the stadium and what one hundred and thirty something uh, uh in what, nationally watching that game on television so to me that tells me something that says something's wrong with this and and, and that's on that game was on a Sunday too on an NFL Sunday. And it means that, to me, it means that the the actual match experience is good. It's it's a it's a great experience going to the game. You mean singing, chanting, cheering for your team. And with Atlanta seeing you know, a very attacking, uh, fluid type of football, nationally there's very little appeal because you mean it's um, yes, watching Atlanta is great, but Chicago's really poor. Uh, So it's a really uneven match and there's a lot of other things on at the same time as well as other soccer games too. So that's the other thing sometimes we forget too is that uh, it's not just NFL versus Major League Soccer but uh, oftentimes it's Major League Soccer against La Liga that might be happening at the same time where Barcelona or Real Madrid or sometimes uh, PSG from, from, from Ligue 1 is playing at the same time too. So that's the other thing too. We're splitting even the soccer community in terms of what they're watching. But at the end of the day, uh, to me, put on a good product yeah. and, and market it well.
0: Years ago, MLS was dumb enough to put a, a, a match on uh, either FS1 or ESPN that went on uh, at the same time as El Clasico. So, I mean, this year, right, this is the problem also. I can't remember the specifics, but they had a nationally televised game running at the very same time as uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid. And again, why would soccer fans watch the MLS match? So, I guess they, you know, they're in a tough position. We we know that, but sometimes. Um, their scheduling decisions
1: have to be smarter. Absolutely. All right, listener, listener mailbag. The first one up is uh, the T Mangrove. And the T Mangrove says, thank you for the retrospective on Peter Brackley. He was definitely one of my favorites. The Channel 4 coverage of Serie R was repackaged for broadcast here in the U.S. in the mid-90s. I believe it was on Prime Network before Fox took over. They had extended highlights from their live match, which typically featured Brackley, in addition to the highlights of the other games. This was my first experience and exposure to the league, and he was a huge reason the show was so good. I may have to dig out some of my old VHS tapes this weekend. Yeah, Kartik, I forgot about Prime Network. Now that he mentions it, I remember that watching... Uh, watching some games late late in the hours like sometimes like midnight it was um soccer was so unpopular during like what the the 80s and early 90s that uh oftentimes i'd have to get my vhs tape out and tape something at like two o'clock in the morning or midnight or three o'clock in the morning and that was the only time that soccer was on
0: yeah it was it was really uh Nice to get this uh, email uh, from from Team Angro because I had forgotten about that, and I remember actually sticking the old VHS tapes in the VCR, uh, and then setting my uh, setting my VCR to record at like midnight or one a.m. so that I could get these clips to get get these yeah. soccer highlights. Um, so. You would get a Serie A package that they would show on uh, Prime Network, which was Fox uh, Fox Sports Regional. We got it on a Sun- channel called Sunshine Network here in Florida. Mm-hmm. And then there was a Premier League program, which Fox actually produced out of L.A., which everyone remembers of Lionel Bienvenue. Uh, I think every, a lot of people remember that I did the same thing for But I remember the Serie A program distinctly now that uh, – we got this listener mail, this listener uh, feedback, which I had completely forgotten about and neglected when we had the retrospective. So thank you so much for that. And I used to actually, I might have some of those VHS tapes somewhere, not that they're useful anymore, but um, with old serial clips with him calling them.
1: Yeah, I have a box full of uh, the old English uh, Premier League highlights show. I think probably about like 15 or 20 VHS tapes that are completely full with all this stuff from the, probably the late 80s, early 90s.
0: There was one I saved. Of that, I have to say, which was when Steven Gerrard made his Liverpool debut, which is a match against Spurs uh, uh, in the festive period in 1998. I still have that VHS tape. I know where it is. There's no way I can watch it, but I know where it is because it's got <laughs> Steven Gerrard's debut, full senior uh, league played in a, in a cup match or two, but senior uh, league debut uh, on. Uh, on VHS
1: that's awesome all right next up is uh, Tim Keane and Tim says watching Manchester United and Arsenal uh, and Chelsea sorry uh on Sunday morning on NBCSN and we were given actually no it was, it was Saturday morning I'm sorry what am, I, what am I talking about and we were given a real treat with the commentators Derek Ray and Phil Neville not sure what it is but they had so much uh to be they, they had so much enjoyment of the game but I wonder if you could ask if you could answer this question for me. In the pregame show, all they talk about is Jose Mourinho. If I was watching in the UK, would we be subjected to this almost constant noise about Mourinho, almost to the exclusion of any other aspect of the game, or would we get a more balanced discussion as to what games were going on and what it meant? Kartik, what do you think on this one?
0: Yeah, I... Hmm. That's that's a really good question.
1: Um... I I can answer it. I I would say no way. I mean that, that basically that you would still get the You would get probably the same constant noise about Mourinho. You'd have you I mean one of the some, one of the pundits going on and on and on about Mourinho the whole time and there'd be very little um, insider analysis. So
0: so it might be a more... Okay, here's why I hesitated. I think you're right, but I think that it might be a more balanced uh, discussion about Mourinho. There may be more Mourinho proponents on the set. Now, what happens on NBCSN, and also I should mention on ESPN FC, is that, um, and I'm guilty of this too because I'm not a Mourinho fan, I think the conversations are always slanted towards... uh, uh, some sort of sh- uh, shot at Mourinho or critique at Mourinho, and that feeds it. Whether it's from Martino, Musto, or Earl, uh, and then ESPN FC, particularly from Shaka and Craig Burley, uh, those two guys, uh, and then everybody kind of feeds off. That. Uh, I think uh, it might be a more balanced discussion with a former Chelsea uh, player on um, there that will defend Mourinho. Like that, but yeah it's probably the same it might even be worse there in terms of they'll, they'll just obsess and focus on it
1: i would say that uh on sunday or, or no this would have been saturday probably uh saturday around right about goal zone or right before goal zone uh they had uh rebecca Lowe just saying okay hey if you missed the chelsea man united game uh, what a game this was and uh you won't believe what happened after the final whistle right at the end of the final whistle and it was <laughs> Rebecca Lowe playing up the incident with Mourinho and the Chelsea coach more than what actually what happened in the game itself. So, so NBC is definitely guilty of this in terms of playing uh, into that soap opera, which is entertaining. It is, that's one of the things about the Premier League in many ways is that soap opera off the game is, is sometimes more interesting or uh, I mean, it's going to generate a lot more discussion than the game itself which is not what it's supposed to be about, uh, which is why a lot of the other, other leagues from around the world, whether it's La Liga uh, or Bundesliga, actually technically are actually better leagues. Uh, and there's not a lot of uh, off-the-field drama, not as much as in the Premier League. But uh, yeah, so Tim, some a good question then in, in regards to what the uh, UK uh, discussion would be. John Average Geek asks, he says, I notice in Italy and in Germany... Uh, the steel fencing between the pitch and, and the stadium and the stands. Why is this still a thing? It seems so 1980s, and it's still uh. it, and it's still such a thing because there's still issues. I mean, in in uh, in Italy in, with Serie A, with the ultras, with the fans. I mean, they're still very very uh, intense uh, there. Germany, not so much, but it's more about segregation. Just trying to segregate the the away fans from the home fans to make sure that they are not. You uh, I mean fighting against each other? Without the fencing, there would be issues. There would be big issues, and that's the thing too. In the Premier League too, even though there's no fencing, and, it, and there was plenty of fencing in the '70s and '80s, there's still incidents that happen. And oftentimes, um, you'll find it find out about it on social media as far as some fights, either inside the stadium or outside the stadium. But uh, it's really you don't hear much about it. I mean, obviously they're trying to downplay it. But yeah, Italy and Germany still has uh, has some issues.
0: Couple quick points here. Uh, now, in terms of Italy, uh, we lo- we like Serie A as a product uh, that's exported to the world that we watch on television. Uh, the domestic game in Italy right now is in the same the domestic game was in England in the 1980s. And in the same way, it's losing a lot of interest from domestic people who might even have been soccer fans who who are saying there's too much violence, there's too much uh, match-fixing or or potential match-fixing, there's too many financial irregularities, there's too much hanky-panky in the the game. And so um, crowds have dropped. The attendance for Serie A, I think, will stun people if uh, if they actually checked out... Uh, Most of the stadiums are old, kind of municipally owned stadiums, like what we had in the U.S. coming out of the 1970s, uh, those multi-purpose stadiums that were owned by cities or or, or locales or counties. Uh, Similar thing there. So Serie A is exported a a very good football product to the rest of the world. But within Italy, domestically, it's very similar to where the English First Division was in the 1980s. Um, As far as Germany is concerned, I think it's just because they have so many fans and such a robust fan culture. Uh, this will shock people who, who are Premier League centric or Premier League only. But um, the atmospheres at games in Germany are actually better than the atmospheres of games in the Premier League. Their fans aren't violent typically, but there is still the need to 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 to, to give some layer of security uh, for for the players. But um, in Italy, just just recircling circling back on that. Uh, the situation is not good in, domestically in the sport in that country. I know we, we take this from an American perspective often, and we're praising Serie A because of the quality of play and the quality of broadcast and what we're seeing on our, on our television screens or on our streaming product, on, on our tablets, etc., on our phones. But uh, the domestic game is just like England in the 1980s. I think that's actually a great uh, analogy uh, from John Average.
1: Yeah, and actually with the Premier League too, you're more likely to see uh, stewards segregating the, the, the away fans from the home fans. Uh, just like at the City of Manchester Stadium at, at the Etihad in the corner there, we have the away fans. Instead of having fencing that, like you would in a Bundesliga stadium, you just have lines and lines of uh, police and stewards there. Uh, the, the stewards sometimes in other games, like for example, or other leagues like the Bundesliga you're more likely to see stewards along the kind of uh, pitch side, kind of encircling the pitch, but not actually in the stadium. At least at least that's what what I've seen. Kartik, last comment from one of our listeners, and this is from Anthony Bellow, and he says, um, Hi, guys, uh, I just saw this article uh, in the Daily Mail, which is entitled, Amazon Prime consider introducing all women commentary teams for its Premier League coverage after the positive response to NFL coverage. And uh, Anthony says, uh, it's the first hint of Amazon's plans for next year. What do you think? And Kartik, to me, this is one of those things that uh, I'm... At the end of the day, no matter what what gender, no matter what accent, to me, it's like you just want to have whoever's best available to actually broadcast that. So it should be based on on talent. Uh, it's interesting that Amazon is uh, considering doing this. Um, whether or not they will do it, I'm, I'm not sure. But if the talent is good enough, I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, that's my side.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I actually... Again, I know I uh, knock the NFL all the time on this uh, on this show, but I was, for another publication, asked to cover uh, Amazon. Uh, a rare NFL thing that I had to deal with was Amazon uh, making this uh, – uh, doing this. And I didn't actually watch the, the, the game, whichever game it was, but uh, it was um, – really experienced good broadcast journalists, Hannah uh, Storm and Andrea Kramer, uh, both of whom maybe have been limited in their upward mobility in terms of, of commentary because uh, they were women. And I, and I feel the same way about the Premier League. I think uh, there is a kind of pigeonholed role for females. It's changed a little bit, but pigeonholed role for females in terms of how they're viewed as, as presenters or as people who can analyze football uh, or commentate about football in the United Kingdom, uh, a stereotype we've gotten over in the United States. So yeah. um, I, I would actually encourage Amazon to do that because I can, I can tell you if it's the best available talent and we're being truly objective about it, uh, the best available talent that hasn't been, that isn't being used in similar roles on D T or Sky are probably females, quite honestly. So I, I would encourage
1: this. Yeah, going back to Turner Sports for a second, and in, in my kind of uh, critical analysis of their talent that they have, where whether it's Tim Howard or whether it's uh, Carlos Bocanegra or uh, Maurice Sardou or some of these other players that they've had uh, in that setting, is um, it, in some ways it's very much a reflection of how the talent level, the, the kind of the analysis level among American, uh, I guess, studio pundits across the board, for the most part, is pretty weak. I mean, you have exceptions. So, like, Carlo Martino, I think, does a fantastic job. Uh, Taylor Twellman, I haven't heard in a while, but when I've seen him uh, give analysis, he's, he's been good. Um, there's Janusz Mahalik who's a U.S. international, gives good, good analysis, and you can go down the, the list. There's definitely, there's definitely talent out there that are very good. But in terms of kind of the next uh, kind of, uh, I guess, the next wave, of talent in the United States. I mean, Hercules Gomez is one again another example of somebody that's really good at analysis. Seb Salazar. You, you go down the list. There are many Americans that have good talent, but then there's also a lot of Americans that are pretty mediocre. That just aren't as good as as um, some other ones out there. And and that that's probably yeah. a reflection of of Turner and some of the challenges they're having in in, in actually providing some good analysis. There's not a lot a lot of available uh, choices.
0: Yeah, the problem is there's a circuit of former national team players that are um, of a certain certain uh, age, certain kind of a uh, 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 pedigree on the national team. Hercules Gomez doesn't fit that. And maybe that's why he's a lot better and a lot more. Uh, uh, opinionated and, and just, I think, just sharper and, and much more uh, much more useful to listen to uh, and interact with than, than a lot of these other guys. But there's a certain circuit of former national team players where that pool comes from, and they all have kind of very conformist opinions about things. Mm-hmm. Um, they won't step out too far on anything U.S. or CONCACAF related. And then when it comes to watching the European game, they're not, um, they're not as analytical about it as perhaps uh, a, a more seasoned analyst uh, or someone with a different background would be. Now, you mentioned Giannis. He's a former U.S. men's national team player also, but he comes from a different generation. I think that generation uh, was more analytical, uh, even Wallace at times. But uh, Balboa, uh, John harks, uh, Eric Winaldo, when they, those guys were on television, right mm-hmm. uh, they tended to be a little more... Uh, detailed in how they could analyze things and analyze player movements. Now, this also may reflect uh, the decline of the U.S. men's national team because I've mentioned a lot about how positioning sense of the likes of Wallace and Balboa and Eddie Pope, uh, even though they played 20 years ago, was better than the center backs the U.S. has now. They, they read the game better. That reflects in the analysis they give. Uh, on television, so I think it's a it's it's a real problem. I you know, and back to the UK thing, I think that there's been a a tendency to hire ex ex jocks, you know, uh, male players that don't really know a whole lot, but it's because of who they know uh, in the business or um, their, um, their 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 reputations as players that get them uh, on the likes of Sky and BT and and uh, ITV when they were covering football a lot more. Uh, And uh, they don't provide as much as perhaps some of the female voices could. So, um, again, my hope is Amazon does this because I think they'll probably find some really good female voices uh, out there that uh, we we haven't heard enough from. Um, Look, look, NBC took a chance on Rebecca Lowe. I think that's worked out pretty well. And uh, who knows if she would have ever been given the same opportunity if she had stayed in Britain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the one thing about um, the analysis from a lot of these former U.S. men's national team uh, players is that they are conforming. They are making sure that they say the right things and not being too critical about certain things because part of it is um, job protection. So, for example, Maurice do got pulled into the uh, what the uh, USA-friendly recently that was on FS1. So they're looking out for their careers. They're looking out to make sure that kind of they go up, up the, the, the ladder uh, being able to give opportunities to to give analysis on U.S. men's national team games, or maybe it's going to be on the next World Cup or maybe other opportunities that come along. And you know what
0: the irony is? I know a lot of people who listen to the show don't don't agree with this, and maybe they're not paying close enough attention, and uh, they have their their views that everybody is uh, uh, an MLS hack. The writers who cover the national team and cover American soccer, even some of the ones you would get, you would characterize as being very pro MLS, with the exception of Grant Wall, I think he's still very careful. Have become more and more uh, uh, a nonconformist in the last six months than any time previously. You know, I, I think about uh, the the amount of, uh, of really just shots at MLS and and, uh, and the U.S. Uh, soccer Federation I get now from reading Jeff Carlyle or Paul Tenorio or Charles Bohm. Uh, but that's not being reflected in the analysts that are on television. So now there's a disconnect. It used to be everyone was singing from the same song sheet. And I, as, as people know, I blame the, uh, uh, the media a great deal for uh, the failure of the U.S. to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, thinking that they had created this bubble and this insular uh, culture of, con- of conformity and comfort, really, for the men's national team players and for the coaches. But I think the written press has moved on from that. And now is at times maybe too critical. Uh, but that has not been reflected on the, in the punditry on television with the exception of uh, particularly Hercules Gomez and Seb Salazar. With those two very notable exceptions. I think, you know, there were spots Taylor Coleman is critical. I think there's spots that some others may be critical. But generally, uh, it's still the same thing on television as opposed to what we're seeing in, in written, uh, the written press now. And I don't know when that's going to change, Chris. And that's something as we continue to analyze television – and streaming, uh, we're going to have to hold those guys accountable because they're not moving along with the fan base and with the written press. They're just still in some uh, some other reality, which doesn't isn't being reflected on what we're seeing uh, in, in the matches.
1: Yeah, and that's one more thing to add to that too. Is just that when you look at ESPN's coverage of the U.S. men's national team and how critically uh, critical it is. I mean, both negative and positive, but more critical, more hard hitting. Versus Fox, there's very still rah-rah USA, and, and it doesn't... I mean, Fox has the World Cup, so they, they almost have to be very, very pro-US, whether it's for the men's team or, or the women's team. Luckily, the women's team is, is doing quite well right now, but, you I mean, they have to be pro in order to try to attract those viewers in. Not that they have to, it's just that they're, they're that's their M.O., is to be very pro-USA, to bring in those uh, sports fans that are not necessarily into soccer, uh, but we'll support the United States, and what they don't want to happen is have viewers coming into games and have the analysis be negative to the, to the U.S. Because the viewer may uh, think of that as being anti-USA, which is not. It's just, I mean, we just want soccer and the U.S. men's national team or, and the women's team. Uh, to raise the bar, to to be better, to to, to grow, and with that becomes uh, you mean with that comes sometimes some some things that people don't want to hear, some some analysis or critiques or uh, recommendations or um, just just some feedback sometimes that's hard to swallow, but at the end of the day, it, it's going to make make things better because then it's more of a, the reality rather than this. This this fake land that we live in, um, and with Fox's coverage of the U.S. men's national team for for many years, it hasn't aligned with the reality. And, and, and uh, like you said, Kartik too, I think um, it's going to take a while before things change. Um, and, and, and also in some ways too, with the, with the U.S. women's national team next year, that'll be kind of a lift. Hopefully, with uh, the U.S. In, in France in the women's World Cup. But that doesn't help uh, the men's uh, team, unfortunately. Um, and with, even with the Gold Cup too, I, I just don't uh, have a lot of—I um, don't have a lot of me- um, meaning in that tournament. It's relatively until the semi-final stage and the final stage is a pretty mean- uh, meaningless tournament.
0: Yeah, it's going on at the same time as the Women's World Cup, too, which cr- creates a programming challenge for Fox. But um, although I guess it could show one during the day and one at night. Uh, the last thing I'll say on this is if, if and when the U.S. do lose in the Women's World Cup, I know they, they look very good. I think Lindsay Horan and Emily Sonnet being in that midfield have really kind of transformed the way they play. So they have a chance to, to, to defend their world, world Championship, which I did not think. It was the case a year ago. I thought the U.S. was going to get be humbled in this World Cup in France. But if and when they still do lose at some stage uh, to a France, to an Australia, to an England, uh, there are still there are still some teams that can really compete with them. Japan is going through a youth movement. They could maybe uh, rise back up. We've, we've seen them beat the U.S. in a final before. Um, I wonder how Fox is going to handle it because I think their eggs are all in the basket of, well, the U.S. is a dominant women's power, and they're going to win this thing. I mean, I, I – I, Even the culture at Fox. I mean, I think Allie Wagner is really good when she does games on Lifetime. And she's decent on Fox, too. But there is a different kind of um, level of critique that goes on. And then you watch uh, ESPN when they've got Ian Dark and and Julie Fowdy or or seven Julie Fowdy doing matches. And Julie Fowdy's analysis is different and more critical than – now, of course, she's become a critic of the Federation the last few years. I think everybody knows that. But uh, it's just, again, culturally, even in the women's game, ESPN is handling things better, differently than Fox. So um, we'll see.
1: All right, listeners, if you have any feedback for us, if you agree or disagree with anything we've just said, or uh, you want to get some advice on streaming or watching games on television, uh, you name it, listener, we'd love to read out those comments on air. You can always reach us through email uh, via web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash Talk, and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always post comments on worldsoccertalk.com so thank you for listening you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday every episode is released on SoundCloud YouTube Stitcher iTunes TuneIn AudioBoom and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, please uh, leave a review for us on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And we've gotten uh, quite a few this past few weeks uh, from you guys, so we really appreciate that. And, Kartik, looking ahead to this weekend, you've got um, Spurs against Man City. You've got Man United against Everton. You've got El Chasico on Sunday uh, happening. You've also got some big matches in Ligue uh, The final day of the MLS regular season, plus much, much more from around the world. What should they do this weekend? Enjoy your football.